produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It's the Smugglers 3 minus 1 add 1 Smuggler Alliance member. Woohoo! If you could catch all that, then <laughs> welcome. <laughs> it is Ken, myself, Mike, and being joined by Smuggler Alliance member Jeremy. How's everyone doing? Hello. Also known as the Spider Pan of the Neverland podcast, Head Lost Boy. That's where I was heading next, was get that plug in for Neverland. Oh, indeed. At NeverlandPodcast.com. And this is weird because usually I'm the one hiding from the Imperials. What's Derek doing? He's not supposed to go on secret missions on his own. Uh, He'd want to take a vacation to Neverland, so I gave him some pixie dust, sent him on his way, and I figured I'd just fill in for him, you know. It's kind of like a service we do. Which planet is that on in the outer rim? Second star to the right, straight on till morning. You'll get there. Okay, that works. <laughs> um, before we get into topics, want to say our merchandise shop is up. I'm in the process of getting the link on the homepage, wookieradio.net, but go to our Twitter feed. You'll find the link there. Got some great looking baseball jerseys, hockey jerseys, sweatshirts, hats, t-shirts, tank tops for... Un- Underwear? No. But it's for Weeby Geeks, Mighty Weeby Geeks, Mighty Marvel Geeks, and Wookie Radio. So and the cool thing is all the te- all the bowling shirts or bowling shirts, all the baseball jerseys and hockey jerseys says smuggler and sixteen in Arabish. <laughs> now you're wondering why sixteen? Well, that's the year that the show got started. There you go. So next year when the final episode nine comes out, eh, maybe we'll do a jersey themed around episode nine. They have that ready to go. For, for both Boom, whatever language that uh, the doctor speaks as Matt Smith is going to be in it. That's, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> Don't know what he's going to be, but he's in it. Oh, I, I think we talked about that last week. Uh, him and Monahan, Dominic mm-hmm. Monahan. So, uh, but to get started, the VP of Lucasfilm, well, she's president of Lucasfilm, but a VP with the Walt Disney Company, um, Kathleen Kennedy, going to be the first woman ever to receive the Irvin or Irving G. Thalberg Award, uh, which is an honorary Academy Award for production achievement, um, along with her husband and producing partner, Frank Marshall. Uh, they're being honored for their uh, body of work that reflects a consistently high quality of motion picture production. Um, Lucas was received this award back in 91 for his work on uh, some little franchise that we like to talk about here called Star Wars. Yeah, independent um, movies, you know. <laughs> and the award has only been given out 38 times in the entire Academy history. And we're talking, what, this is like the 100-something year? Uh, yeah, let me bring back up the article there. Uh, which one did it hang on? I want to say 114th, but I could be wrong. I'm most likely wrong. Um, oh, coming up on the 91st. So last year was the 90th and 90th okay. anniversary. Thought they were long, around longer than I thought. Um, Kathleen Kennedy may be best known for the Star Wars franchise at present time, uh, but she's been a a big wig or industry heavyweight or whatever you want to call it for decades. Uh, she's been involved in over 60 plus films to date, um, which have collectively earned over 15 billion at the box office. Uh, Kennedy and Frank Marshall have co-founded Amblin Productions with Steven Spielberg back in 81. And her first production credit was on E.T., 
Before that, she worked with Spielberg on Raiders of the Lost Ark as an associate in Poltergeist in 82 as an associate producer. Uh, her movies have been nominated for Best Picture uh, eight times over the years. Uh, she was previously a member of the Board of Governors, and members cannot earn honorary Oscars if they're a member of the board. However, it's been argued that Kennedy and Frank Marshall should have received the Irving G. Thalberg Award in the past. Uh, the producing partners joined the ranks of Walt Disney, Francis Ford Coppola, and Alfred Hitchcock as influencers influencers who have also won the award uh they're going to be honored november 18th it's a sunday i know this because my daughter's birthday party is the day before <laughs> since her birthday is during the week <laughs> um and they're going to be again on november 18th at the annual governor's awards now star wars franchise revved up again in 2015 with abrams taking helm of force awakens which was overseen by kennedy and disney uh, while some may argue about the quality of the new films, they have collectively earned over $4 billion worldwide. Since the box office failure of Solo, A Star Wars Story, future spinoff films have been canceled, and there are rumors that Kennedy will leave her post as president of Lucasfilm. This is yet to be confirmed, but Kennedy's impressive resume speaks for itself. Now, until we actually hear it from Lucasfilm, which I don't believe has happened, the spinoff films aren't on hold or are not canceled. Well, not canceled, yeah. Yeah, even Ryan Johnson has tweeted and indicating that, no, I'm still working on my three movies. And, and then we have the, the D&D guys uh, from Game of Thrones. They're still doing their trilogy, too. Yep. So, and that'd be David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, D&D boys. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, much. <laughs> so, you know, they're going to be doing their own series. Again, spinoffs, they're not they're not going anywhere. It's just the only one that hasn't been announced yet is what's coming after episode nine. Yeah, a bunch of spinoffs. And I I think I've still been hearing talk about a live action series coming to the Disney streaming service. I yep. think that's still going, isn't it? Yeah. yeah that's by John Favreau Fava Beans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Biggest rumor on that one is that it's actually going to be about Mandalorians. Yes. Oh, that'd be awesome. And of course, if you heard our episode where we interviewed Bonnie Peace, we're pushing for our Lars Homestead series that takes Ooh. that deals with preteen Luke. Yeah. Uncle Owen and Aunt Brew. Now, imagine how whiny he would be then. Uh, there's some potential there, but it could also be really boring because, look, we're vapor farming. Hooray. No. I mean, Moisture if, evaporators. Woo. If the story's based around Luke, though. Yeah. And his little adventures and exploits and the Womp Rats, Beggar's Canyon, Canyon, you know, bringing yeah. in. Owen fighting off uh, or getting rid of Obi-Wan and chasing him away. <laughs> yeah. See, there's, there's some potential, but it can also end up not working. Working as well as you would hope. We get one or two seasons. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I you wouldn't carry it on for long, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't like man. My, I wouldn't mind a live action series that maybe either had a different location premise each season, or was almost an anthology style the way the Clone Wars were. Yeah, we I mean, yeah. have three characters that pop up here and there through it, but it's all individual stories. Yeah, it would be like the Clone Wars was, or like some of the old books, like the Tales from Jabba's Palace, the Jails from uh, Mos Eisley Cantina all those ones where maybe the setting is the same place, but it's different characters telling different stories every week. Well, yeah. how about start off by bringing back as new canon, the old Dark Horse Tales of the Jedi series. Go. And then you could continue spinning off from there and each week is a tale of a different Jedi. Mm -hmm. Well, the nice thing with that one, you can put that far enough in the past that no matter what you do, it doesn't affect what's happening now. Exactly. Because all that is, I believe, for the most part, pre-Clone Wars. Well, yeah, the Tales from the Jedi was over a thousand years ago. Well, there, there were some books, there were like six books um, that were done that were uh, like there's a Dooku story, uh, Yoda, Mace. Nope. Tales from the Jedi ended before the uh, prequels came out. No. Tales from the Jedi was about Nomi Sunrider and all those guys mapping out hyperspace lanes and all that. Right, but there, Remember? there's an, there's another set of Tales from the Jedi books. See, I didn't know there was another set after that. Uh, let me find it. Because they have them on Marvel Unlimited, but they don't have them on Dark Horse. Which And I own, yeah. I own um, at least the Dooku book. The Dooku book tells the story between Dooku and, Kay and uh, Quilin Voss. 
Um, you know, I'd actually be interested to see R2 and 3PO with Captain Antilles be represented and have a little bit of some stories about maybe what's happening with them and maybe on Alderaan. Get a little bit of maybe young Princess Leia. There's some uh, some interesting things you could do there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything I'm finding here is all the stuff that was um, the stuff way in the past. Uh, I'm going to search uh, my character. The, and the fall of the Sith Empire were both about 5,000 years before Yavin. Uh, those are the ones that had to do with Nagasato and um, Nomi Sunrider and all those guys. And you look at the girl. Uh, and then Kevin Anderson came back and did two more or a couple more story arcs that were only about a thousand years behind. The, the, bo- the books I'm thinking are Star Wars Jedi. Oh, okay. The Star Wars Jedi series. But even still, yeah. take Star Wars Jedi and Star Wars Tales of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be a great little thing. Yeah. Well, like I said, the Tales of the Jedi would be awesome. Being 5,000 years before Yavin, you wouldn't have, you would not be beholden to what's in canon now. Right. Because over 5,000 years, those would be beyond legends at this point. I mean, the closest thing you're going to get to it is Yoda, and he was only goes back 900 years. <laughs> yeah. That'd be interesting. Uh, another thing I'd actually like to see if we're talking about something from the books, uh, you remember that Rogue Squadron series? Yes. Yep. That would be interesting. I'm probably just animated because, you know, you, you want to get Wedge in there and mm-hmm. you, know, you could you could get the same voice to come in. But, you know, of course, the actor is much older, but that would actually be an interesting series. Yeah. I think animated, though. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get the actor. You could get the voice actor, though. So if you did it animated, no problem. It would be a great series. I mean, yeah, there are some great stories from the Dark Horse realm that would be worth bringing in oh yeah uh, i mean if if you don't want to do a boba fett movie for whatever reason why not do blood ties which bounces between I, Django and boba yeah i still think a lot of people may be surprised what would actually come out of a boba fett movie unless they um unless they really push towards the what um fanboy theories are because if like i said if you look at what's in canon right now boba fett as far as we know didn't have a history with han solo Han Solo was just another job. Yeah. Yeah. He was king for Jabba, took a bounty. Got, he, it's not because everybody seems to feel that this was something that um, happened, uh, had a relationship back and forth, and they were rivals all the way back. It's like, as far as I could tell, and if you look at it, Han was a smuggler. Bob was a bounty hunter. They wouldn't be usually working together much or yeah. working against each other. They're not even doing the same job. But Han yeah. Solo could know the reputation of Boba Fett and still fear him. Yeah. Exactly. That's one thing. But it, everybody seems to think, like Boba was his arch nemesis or something. <laughs> well, he was probably the bunny hunter he had most to be afraid of. Well, that's that's for sure. When we interviewed um, Jeremy Bullock over on Weeby Geeks, he made the illusion that Han and Han and Boba were actually friends and might have even played uh, Salabak together. Now that would be interesting if they're both working for Jabba. Why not? They put sure. both hanging out. They could have been hanging out of the palace off and on, or any yeah. of the clubs that Jabba owned. Yeah, yeah, because if I, Jabba has some of the best paying jobs, the Boba Fett's going to hang out there, get that money. Yeah. And if, like I said, also, if you're looking at the movies and what we've seen from books, Han only messed up one job for Jabba. Yeah. Other than that, he was a pretty good smuggler. Yeah. yeah. He dropped- Although they, in some of the newer comics, they have a few other uh, screw-ups they've added to his collection. Yeah. Not for Jabba, though. They've been have, they've had a few other jobs. Uh, there's something I was reading here recently uh, of a collection that I got from the library. I uh, can't remember. He messed up something. Uh, he had to drop some cargo. I uh, can't remember. He had a woman on board with him. So- I don't think it was Dr. Afra. I think it was somebody else. Well, we saw in the movie Solo that he dropped the cargo. Yeah. To save everybody else. Because even yeah. he gets boarded sometimes. Do you think he has a choice? <laughs> nope. So, well, that's all I got on Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, of course, Deadline's the one who dropped the story first. So Yeah, but we do get to stay in the realm of the Oscars. This was not directly a Star Wars one, but it affects Star Wars, really. it's It appears that the Academy Awards has decided to postpone their brand new popular film category, <laughs> which is basically the popular film category never really had a definition, as far as we know. It was just, it's, it reeks the whole thing, reeks of a way to, okay, let's let all these comic book fans and the science fiction fans, they can have this category here so that they aren't screaming about putting their movies in the best picture categories anymore. (laughs) Yeah. 
It's almost like that sidestep they did with Beauty and the Beast, which should have won Best Picture. And so they said, well, it's animated. We can't give it to that. I know. Let's create Best Animated Picture. Yeah. yeah. So you get this little side, like, we'll put those films over there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Snow White did win many years ago. Honoraries. Yeah, because yeah, I think they got it because the Academy Awards weren't being done yet or something like that. Yeah. And they, they gave Walt the little honorary set where he had the seven miniatures. Yeah. Well, I guess since this was announced, uh, the new category has come under a lot of criticism, like we were just saying, from many people, including Oscar Isaac, who said who thought it was, quote, pretty stupid. <laughs> well, the, directly, this is a quote directly from the Academy that says, while remaining committed to celebrating a wide spectrum of movies, the Academy announced today that it will not present the new Oscars category at the upcoming 91st Awards. The Academy recognizes that implementing any new award nine months into the year creates challenges for films that have already been released. The Board of Governors continues to be actively engaged in discussions and will examine the examine and seek additional input regarding this category. Then we have a quote here. There has been a wide range of reactions to the introduction of a new award, and we recognize the need for further discussions with our members, said Academy CEO Don Hudson. We have made changes to the Oscars over the years, including this year, and we will continue to evolve while also respecting the incredible legacy that of the last 90 years so it's basically everybody went nuts and they did they did not get the reaction they expected out of this world war <laughs> no we're trying to cater to the fanboys don't you like us now yeah they're trying to get someone to actually watch the show yeah well maybe they didn't pick so many best picture movies that nobody's even heard of mm-hmm. last time i actually paid attention is because lord of the rings was up there for best picture you yeah know? oh it's awesome because most of the times when a star wars movie comes out it'll um either set or tie the record for most nominations it'll maybe maybe pull one mo- one actual award but they'll get mm-hmm. nominated for 15 different categories just so they put them in there it's like they feel obligated like oh well you know effects well john williams wrote the music uh let's go <laughs> oh if Set i remember design. williams is either tied or has the record for the most nominations of anybody ever oh yeah, yeah. we he talked about that man. last year when they did it so <laughs> yep. but that's all we had on that one but we do have more awards Oh, yes, indeed. And uh, getting away from the Oscars, we're actually talking SAG-AFTRA, which is Screen Actors Guild. And I always forget what AFTRA means. Anybody remember? Uh, American Federation of Television and Recording Artists. Nice. Well, there are actually awards that I have not actually heard of. The what now? I have other reasons to know that. Okay. You might be a member? Uh, I'm eligible. (laughs) You're eligible. Okay. Well, they actually have awards, and not necessarily for your work in film, television, or radio, but because you're doing something nice. And so they're actually honoring Harrison Ford for what they call the Inspiration Awards. And there's going to be a ceremony here on November 8th at the Wallace Annenberg Center for Performing Arts in Beverly Hills. It seems that for more than 25 years, Harrison Ford has actually been a champion of the environment and supporting Conservation International. And he actually serves as vice chairman on the board of directors at Conservation International. Uh, This is a nonprofit group, and they actually protect biodiversity and some trouble spots internationally. And Harrison Ford also has been supporting Supporting charities like the Riverkeeper, Young Eagles, Earthshare, and Restore Hedge Hetchy. Uh, so, of course, he's big in conservation. I mean, he likes to fly over and take a look before he crashes into it and survives. Okay. All right. That was too soon. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we actually have also found out that Harrison Ford is going to be voicing a role in The Secret Life of Pets 2, uh, which I don't know why they're making a sequel to that. But... We do know he's going to be back as Indiana Jones with Steven Spielberg directing. Don't know when that's coming, but awesome. I hope. What was that, Mike? Nothing. Oh, I say it'd be interesting to see if they actually get George to come back to help write that one. Uh, depends upon what he wants to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, he, I don't know, I, I understand the thought of, oh, if I'm going to put it in the 50s, oh, you know, those B-movie alien movies were coming out in the 50s. Maybe that's what we need. No, no, George. No, that's not what we need. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mind the Crystal Skull. The, the, what got it for me was it was weird to have aliens in it because there's always been supernatural type elements in Indiana Jones. Yeah. Aliens was a departure going in a different direction with it. Yeah, that was that was more of a sci-fi than just weird supernatural artifact from history you know right it was weird for for me it was i always have to explain to people in the the first three films 
are tributes and parody to the the original adventurer movie serials mm-hmm. that would play in front of the films. Just like Star Wars is a tribute to the old Buck Rogers Flash Gordon movie serials, along with um, Seven Warriors and or Seven Samurais and a few yeah. other Japanese Kurosawa, films. is that what his name yeah, was? Kurosawa. Yeah. yeah. Now, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is based on the old 50s B-movies. Yep. Point blank. If, you under, if you're familiar with the old 50s B-movies and understand what they're like, the movie was perfect. It was brilliant. It was done exactly the way it was supposed to be and was a great film. Those people who complain about it don't know enough about the 50s B-movies to understand him being in the refrigerator as it gets blown up. Great little gag. The mm-hmm. whole thing with the monkey's chase. Great gag. Going over the waterfall in the in the ducks, or in that duck. Great little gag. It all fits. Everything with the skulls themselves. Great fit. And to me, I even felt that there was a slight nod to Close Encounters of the Third Kind with that as well. Yeah. That they almost looked similar to the Close Encounters alien. It I haven't f- seen all of that movie, so I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it f- well, it fits. It works. It's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. It's My just- problem with that a little bit is uh, science fiction, I don't know if it fits with what Indiana Jones is doing. Exactly. It just doesn't fit in not- with Indiana Jones. It's not the right mo- movie um, series to put that in. I right. agree. It was done fantastic for what he was trying to do. I agree. I don't fit the way he wanted it to. Yeah. But but I think the part of the reason why they went with Crystal Skulls is because so they were all of a sudden becoming mainstream right before the movie, so they figured they'd ride those coattails with mm-hmm. the film. Yeah. yeah. Although it's not always a good idea. Did you ever see that Phantom movie where the goal was to unite three Crystal Skulls to get ultimate power? Yes. I love that movie. The it Phantom is kind of fun, but very, very old character. The Phantom goes back to I think the thirties, yeah. forties. Yeah, it, it is it, kind of a fun movie, but you have a really bad scene with the villain standing there. Yes, show me the power. Show me the power. It's just horrible. <laughs> that scene but, right there kind of half ruins the movie, but the rest of it is just pretty fun and kind of swashbuckly. But to me, if they had done more, since they were already in South America, if they had done more revolving around the Aztec calendar and the Doomsday Clock. Mm-hmm. I th- I think it would have actually been a good timing for that too. There could have been quite a bit for that as well. That would yeah. that could have worked as a B movie. Yeah. yeah. So well, and stayed away is, from the sci-fi side of things, <laughs> but more but more the mythical going after the Mayan gods, yeah. city of gold stuff. Yeah, because yeah. you consider you know Rage of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones encounters God, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones encounters Satan. The, in the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones encounters Jesus. You know, you've got a religion theme going on here. And then suddenly, oh, look, aliens. What? Well, the interesting thing is in number five, what, how far advanced are they going to take that? Are they going to leave it in the 50s or put it in the 60s? I would almost like to see them move it up um, at the end of it, move it up to the 90s to see Harrison Ford, the way he looked in the first episode of Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, to bring it all the way back around and show that those guys, those are in canon with the movies. See, <laughs> That'd be that cool. would be fantastic. It, I, would, I would still love if they're going to turn around and reboot the series with the female Indiana Jones. I'm sorry. It does not need to be Indiana Joan, J-O-A-N. I would love to see that the, it's a granddaughter thing. Marion's gone. Who cares about LaBeouf's character? <laughs> yeah. But, but it, wouldn't it become, that just be Tomb Raider? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes and no. Um I, I think I mean, if you want to pull back and, and try to do anything rebooted, I think if you get that Uncharted movie, that's probably about the closest you're going to get. Right. But they're talking they want to redo it with Jones as a female. Uh, OK, fine. Let's make this a continuation. And we now carry forward. And it's Jones's granddaughter. Something like that. Yeah. And she carries on the name. But there was something fun, though, about the original films being set in the 40s, the 30s and 40s yeah. type of, you know, well, that kind of had it to the style of the films. Actually, all, all three of those, all three of those are set in the 30s. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's still you've got that environment, right. you know, the style of the films. And so jumping to the 50s, the style was completely different for the look of the film. 
Uh, well, that, so the, the Nazis, compared to the communists for villains, the Nazis, I think, made better villains. Oh, yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. So, yeah, you, if, you, but, if you try to continue on to it like a granddaughter, a granddaughter would be very modern age by the time you have a granddaughter, and that's it yeah. becomes Tomb Raider. Well, no, because if you, if, you if you move it to the 70s and you're still dealing with the Russians during the Cold War. Well, in the 70s, his granddaughter's probably a five-year-old. Well, no. Because you're already looking at the 50s, and you've got his, he's got a son, so if we're assuming that he's eventually going to have a daughter, you know, yeah, but let, it, let, let's let's even be, or, be happy about saying maybe by the 60s he has a daughter. So in the 70s, she's maybe a teenager. Yeah, but we're... No, actually, you could do this with um, Mutt. In the 50s, Mutt is what? He was probably 17? Something like that, yeah. If he has a daughter in the next five years, years say it's gonna put it somewhere probably right around six 1960 so you have a teenage girl in the mid 70s yeah that's like what i just said yeah or or even <laughs> so or even going or even go into the reagan years yeah yeah i mean you're still doing you're still dealing with the cold war through the 80s yeah it gets harder to. I think the um, the overall villain, the way the Nazis were and the way the communists were, the closer, the farther you get into the eighties and stuff, the harder that is to sell. Yeah. Uh, but if towards, you, no, because because Cold, Cold War was seven, late seventies, early eighties. Cold War was still pretty pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. it was very intense in the eighties. But uh, and we have shown there's some nostalgia for the eighties with Stranger Things that uh, that really has you know brought in the nostalgia and it's actually gotten kids interested in things from the eighties and music. Yeah of the 80s yeah. so maybe setting an Indiana Jones film in the 80s with a granddaughter you know and she would be an adult by then that might work and give it okay. a, and give it a little bit of the pitfall spin <laughs> yeah there you go a a popular game from the 80s that could a be fun would be um I don't I wouldn't mind at this point recast Indiana Jones and actually just do more stories in the 30s yeah, and I was always thinking Josh Brolin like, would actually make a pretty James good Bond. Indiana Jones. Yeah, just like you do James Bond or some of the other ones where you have other actors playing the same character. It's Indiana Jones is a character, not a person. Well, right. if you want to go a little younger and set them in the 20s, mm-hmm. let's bring back uh, Elden Rock from Solo into the role. Elden Rock, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Let him do it in the, for the know, 20s. That, that, that may be too soon right now. But yeah. yeah. Blu-ray sales show that people actually did like this movie. I think it's going to, I think it's going to happen. I, again, as we talked about on the Smothers Alliance episode where we recapped, I think the problem there was, it was the wrong time of year, a wrong part of the summer. If it had come out around Labor Day to wrap up, I think yeah. it would have been fine. Well, you could have had has been dead in the movies. So this would have been the perfect time to really push it and get it get it good. And then you got the whole summer to push. You know, to really start start the push Memorial Weekend. Go, hey, Labor Day, look what's coming. Boom, yeah. drop. But there was still so much hate for Last Jedi that was leading to oh, Last Jedi was horrible, so we're not going to go see Solo. And the funny thing is the this uh, once we get to the story that may not be as bad as people thought it was the <laughs> how much uh, the hate for last jedi yeah yeah well yeah we'll talk about that later <laughs> spe- speaking of solo um ray park has a lot of great ideas about maul's future after solo um mm-hmm. of course we know he played the cameo in solo a star wars story and is already thinking ways his character could be featured in a follow-up film if anything happens in the future and the character is back and it's me i have a lot of great ideas what to do with it park shared with forbes okay forbes magazine Mm-hmm. They must Forbes have Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess they know where the money's at. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's that's what it is. They cover money and Star Wars makes money. <laughs> um, yes, it does. W- were Maul to be given a larger appearance in a subsequent film, Park would likely be much more involved in that film's development as his appearance in Solo was kept hidden from a majority of cast and crew, with even Park only being given the essential details about the film. And it probably went down like, okay, you need to be up at two o'clock in the morning. Car's going to be waiting for you. We're going to put a bag over your head. You're going to be driven to a location and you'll get the rest of your information there. They put him on a soundstage in California and just filmed what he was doing and said, okay, because he didn't have to say anything. He just had to sit there. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did have to say something because it was going to be yeah. overdubbed by, by Whitwer later. Yeah, well, no, Whitwer. it's not in this article, but I did actually, it might be in this article. Um, but he confirmed that 
uh, this was done totally different. Wait a minute. Well, the okay, the next start, the next paragraph on this one will explain that actually it was done different than he did before. He didn't have to say anything. But it, he says he was given a couple sheets of what was going on beforehand and then what was happening, and it's pretty cool because w- Sam did the voice and all, and it was all a different process for me. It was hearing the voice and then acting as well. So I really enjoyed this experience. So chances are the voice was done back in playback. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Uh, Sam had already done the voice and he acted to the voice instead of in the original Phantom Menace he did all the voice and then they um, did it in ADR and replaced him I I would not be surprised if they had like Bluetooth a Bluetooth earpiece for him to hear Whitworth's lines so he could duplicate. For this, they wouldn't even need that. They, his stuff could have all been done on a blue screen stage because you got to think, his was a hologram. So right. it's just him in the chair on a blue screen stage. And they could have played it over the loudspeakers. It wouldn't have mattered. Oh, true, true. Because they don't have to record audio. Sorry, I, I'm thinking audio guy in me and yeah. how to put it through without it being picked up on film. No, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for this, no, they could have played it right over the loudspeakers. It wouldn't have made a difference. Um, yeah, you but, can add the sound in later. Yeah, he said it was hearing the voice and then acting as well, so I really enjoyed this experience, which is cool that they, they already had it done. Because could you imagine with, like, the original trilogy if um, James Earl Jones's lines were already done before David Prowse <laughs> acted to it? Mm-hmm. Maybe it could have been a different different feel to the movie. Yeah. Well, because David Prowse thought they were even going to use his voice when he was yep. filming it. Yep. Well, the interesting thing is I wonder if um, if they hadn't done Clone Wars and such, if they'd have done it this way. Because this is the way they do the Clone Wars and Rebels and all that, remember. They'd record all the audio, yeah. and then the animators actually a- animate to that dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. standard with animation. Mm-hmm. So, um, the animation guy could have recorded it months before, and they knew he could keep a secret because he's so he's got NDAs so far up the that he <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> they know that. Yeah. If you say anything, your children will feel it. How bad will sue you? Yes. <laughs> now, prior to the film's release, uh, Aaron Reich confirmed that his contract included a total of three films as solo. Yet this doesn't guarantee that those two other films will come to fruition. Well, nothing ever said either that those two, the other two films were solo movies. It's just he's appearing two more times. I think there's a typo in the next line, but as as our small movie as solo in a pre trilogy, original trilogy film. Um, now, now, Park noted, too, that while he signed on to star in two G.I. Joe films as Snake Eyes, only two of those films landed in theaters with no plans for a third film, having emerged since 2013's G.I. Joe Resurrection. Yeah, I think originally he signed on for three G.I. Joe movies. They, just, yeah. they only made two. And I'm sorry, I hated the body paint look of Snake Eyes in the first film. The way he looked in the second film was perfect. Yeah, I didn't even bother watching the second film because that first film was so bad. The, that's the one character they kind of got right with Snake Eyes. Yeah, and, and they kind of got Cobra Commander right, too. Oh, Not second, in the first movie, the they second, didn't. Oh, first one was horrible. Yeah. And, and Snake Eyes was horrible because I'm sitting there going, okay, is he wearing an Under Armour shirt? Is that body paint? Is his face body paint? And he's just wearing goggles? It, it didn't make sense what it was. Whereas the second film, it was exactly what it should have been. So, um, of course, we are hoping for more content at with Maul, as you know, he was a predominant character in the Clone Wars. Also, you know, pre- pretty big of a deal in in season three and four of Clone Wars, um, a seventh season of Clone Wars. Uh, we may see him um, make an appearance there as well. I think uh, that's pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point, because if they're going to talk about Mandalore, he was yeah. involved in Mandalore. Yeah. yeah. With Death Watch and all that. So mm-hmm. that that's how I feel. I think it'd be great. And of course, there's also been pictures leaking out of, you know, apparently it's going to be stuff we're going to see on the um the release of Solo, a Star Wars story, is some of the concept art and concept photos of Maul with the robotic legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these look that, great. As of recording, we got two weeks till that drops on DVD and Blu-ray. Yep. Woohoo! Unfortunately, we're not going to see a DVD Blu-ray combo. It's 4K, <sighs> it's 4K Blu-ray digital combo, not Blu-ray DVD digital combo. I've been looking. They're sticking it to me. Yeah, I know. They've been driving me crazy. It's the same problem I had with Infinity War. 
I'm yeah. like, Doug, got it. it it's it's, <laughs> it's I think, not going to be long. Before. Well, go ahead. I think we're slowly hitting that stage where, like with the video cassettes, with DVDs, DVDs are slowly going away. Yeah. Yeah. They're pushing it out, though, instead of because DVDs kind of took over almost organically when The Matrix came out. Suddenly, we've got a big selling DVD, yep. and everybody was, was purchasing a DVD player on their own. This time, it feels like they're pushing us. I mean, granted, I do have a Blu-ray player, but I also still have a DVD player that I like to use. Uh, and I do enjoy my digital copies because Google Fiber allows me to use Vudu directly on uh, my device so I can watch Vudu and a lot of smart TVs, you have Vudu or whatever. And yep. so you can watch all your digital movies right there. I never have to pull the disc out, but I do like to have the disc. So, I mean, there well, is some organic growth in the digital market, for, uh, but I don't think, you know, pushing DVD away is, is a good idea because people still like to get a regular DVD as well. So they can watch it. You know, there are all these people that have a car that have a DVD player in their car to, for their kids to watch movies. I mean, yeah. well, for, for me, it's, it's one of those, um, I like having, in the DVD so I could rip it down to a smaller file size for my iPad. There you go. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or even the phone or the laptop because uh, let me find my Last Jedi. Last Jedi through iTunes. Of course, it's got all the extras as well. It's a 5.19 gigabyte program file. Yeah, it's a space eater. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Infinity War is 5.81 gigs. So, I mean, yes, as much as I'm a, a um, an extras junkie, that drives me nuts. Yeah. And now it's it's to the point with iTunes you can't even choose standard definition. So yeah, yeah. well, see that's where I I usually just most of the newer movies that I've bought all come with the digital copy, yeah. and if I want to watch it other than on my regular TV, I'll just stream it. Yep, then I don't have to worry about saving it or anything. Yep. So that's it for Solo. Solo comes out uh, as stated before in a couple weeks. Um, I can't wait. Oh yeah, I, I just gotta figure out what do I get now? Just Blu-ray digital, or do I now? Well, I don't have a 4K Blu-ray player. All I've got oh, is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's why they can't push us to 4K because we have to buy a new TV to go 4K, and then a player to play the 4K. That's like you know the the PS4 Pro. Why am I gonna go and spend money on that just to play my games on 4K if I I have to go buy a 4K TV first? And why spend the extra movie money on that when all of my HD TVs are just fine? Let me wear one of them out and break it first. Well, I. I do have a 4K TV. I got that a couple weeks ago, or last week. Um, but I also got a new Blu-ray player that only does, I got just a regular, but it does 4K upscaling for streaming video. Ah. So, because I don't have any 4K discs. <laughs> but 4K for me, a lot of times, depending on how it's done, it almost is, because of the way the frame rates run, on it, it looks too realistic. It takes me out of the experience. Because watching TV on a, um, on a TV or anything else, your brain notices and it looks like TV or it looks like a movie. Yeah. If, if you get the super high resolution, super high frame rate, all of a sudden it looks almost like you're looking through a window and that takes yeah. me out of it. it it's not the same. It, yeah, like even it. in filmmaking, because uh, I, I made the mistake, I filmed a music video in my cinematography class and I thought I'd go ahead and film it at 60 frames per second and then I would just take it down to 24.9 to make it more the film standard. And it, it, you know, granted, it started to look more like film when you slow down that frame rate, but it still wasn't quite the same as if I had, if I had filmed it at, at the typical frame rate that we see in film. It still yeah. had that video quality instead of film quality. So yeah, I, I can't really see myself wanting to go up 4K. I mean, I can do 60 frames per second on a video game. That seems to work. But if I see it in a movie, it won't seem like I'm watching a movie. We're, we're so well-trained because, you know, old film reels 24 frames per second we're so yeah. used to it that, that the transition just doesn't work in our heads anymore but yeah when it converted over to dvd and and video cassette it became uh was a 29.9 frame speed yeah you can do that but they don't tend to use it you know because it starts to lose that film quality yeah i mean you, the picture can look good but having that just that frame rate still makes it look like a movie yeah yeah that was the problem with um the first of the Hobbit movies when they put them out. And they put it out and they made the you know, big thing about having it. With the, you could watch it in the high frame rate and all that stuff. Yeah. First one in that in 3D with the high frame rate. And it's like, no, it's just, it just it doesn't feel right. It doesn't look yeah. right. Yeah. Dude, yeah. You, Not to mention that movie wasn't very good anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I like them, but I read the Silmarillion and some of the other stuff that they added parts in from. 
I'm just waiting for that Netflix Cimmerillion series. That'll be awesome. Yeah, I the hope. Lord of the Rings series from no, yes. the Amazon, I believe. That's gonna be great. Well, but yeah, moving on. <laughs> well, we we do know that Ryan Johnson is a fan of the Clone Wars series. Oh yeah, and he comes yes. out and explains why. Well, kinda. Uh, what? Is, who is this? Deep Sing Music at at Desi Hood Music on Twitter. Actually, ask Ryan Johnson a question. He says, um, hi, at Ryan Johnson. I wanted to know your thoughts on the Mortis arc of the Clone Wars and its and it connections to any of the films, maybe. Then Ryan Johnson replied, I rewatched those these episodes um, on Dave Filoni's advice early in the writing process. They're so gorgeous and boundary pushing. So it looks like the um, the Mortis trilogy from the Clone Wars may have actually inspired some of what he did in The Last Jedi. Uh, yeah, which, and you can see that a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Filoni in the Mortis trilogy and in the um, last couple of episodes of The Rebels did a lot of exploring of what is the Force. Now, the Mortis trilogy was actually directly influenced by um, George because George helped him write those or helped <laughs> the writers write the Mortis trilogy. So all the Force stuff in there came from George Lucas. And um, being that Filoni was the um, supervising director of Rebels, you could you could tell that the Rebel stuff basically came from the mind of George also, even though he wasn't sitting in the writer's room anymore. Yeah. And it shows how um, now in the Mortis trilogy, we know that um, Anakin, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka were transported to a strange world called Mortis, which at this point we still don't know. It's never been said whether or not that was real or a whole or like a dream thing produced by the force. No one knows or no one's ever said. I'm sure Filoni knows the answer, but he's not going (laughs) to tell anybody. That man knows how to keep a secret. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he and does. And how to dance around it. Saw that. Uh, saw that firsthand. <laughs> in the he, same. He, in the same room best. at a press conference when he did all that. Yeah. He has <laughs> the greatest tap dancing shoes ever created. <laughs> Well, um, but they landed on a mysterious world called Mortis that was inhabited by only three people. The son, who is a powerful dark side, powerful in the dark side of the force. The daughter, who is equally powerful in the light side. And the father, who kept the balance between the other two. Now, um, the father brought Anakin to the land in hopes that he will replace the father as the keeper of the balance once he dies. Eventually, all three of them actually do die, which in its own way still keeps the balance of the force. Now, Ryan doesn't specifically talk about um, how these episodes influenced him, but you can kind of see it in watching The Last Jedi. Uh, Ryan does call the episodes gorgeous and boundary pushing, which could definitely translate. Now, a lot of people had a problem with the way he did the um, The Last Jedi and all the story elements. But no one's been able to complain about how beautiful it was or um, it actually um, pushing the boundaries of what is Star Wars or what is the force. Everybody agrees that, yeah, it did. It basically they did do that. Um, but also some of the other uh, arguments of the oh, wait, that's what I just talked about. OK, but the entire idea of Mortis is a sort of living manifestation of the force is something that um, was never hinted at in the franchise before. Its entire existence potentially changes quite a lot about how the force, how you view the force and star wars as a whole now you could actually you can almost hear this is from cinema blend and they said that you could actually almost see the connection here with kylo ren ray and um luke where kylo ren and ray possibly being the son of the daughter yeah extremely strong on the light side and extremely strong on the dark side and luke trying to kind of hold the balance in the middle definitely he really mm-hmm. out of the picture but he could tr- he could be pulling that part yeah because luke has touched the dark and the light boat Yes, he has. He was only a fraction of a step from going to the dark side in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. It was one decision that totally changed his path. Yep. So it's interesting to just look at the similarities between these. Oh, yeah. It was all over at night. I guess maybe some of the people who didn't enjoy the movie just didn't see that it was it was reflecting the mortis. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of people we know this for a lot of people have not either not watched the Clone Wars or it was like, oh, it's just a cartoon. Like, no, all of the animated stuff is all as part of canon. Yeah. And it's not just a cartoon. It's a freaking awesome cartoon. Yeah. Yes. Well, George <laughs> Lucas even said when Lucas was running it, he can. Contr- he said that um, all his canon of what was Star Wars story and what actually happened in Star Wars was the six movies at that point and the Clone mm-hmm. Wars series. Yeah, that was it. Yep. So anything he's got his hands in is canon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's why in the Clone Wars, he was able to bring in parts of the existing EU. Yeah. None of those were actually part of his version of canon until he brought them in. Right. Right. And he changed them a little bit because the original stories they were in were not part of canon anyway. But if he likes some of the elements he sees in some of the oh, yeah. books and some of these writers, you can say, hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We can use that. Exactly. That yeah. Things like Quinn the Boss. Mm-hmm. He was brought in out of comic books. 
and Thrawn. Well, yeah, that, well, that was after him, but yeah, that's yeah. Filoni brought in Thrawn. Yeah, see, because well, Filoni thinks like George sometimes, I think. <laughs> well, yeah. He, he, last man we know to actually study at the feet of George Lucas. Yeah. Um, and actually, I'm at, I'm almost halfway through the Thrawn Alliances book. Good book so far. Awesome. I'm so behind on my reading. <laughs> I'm able to lazy read at work. Ah, yeah. I go I, to the I website, download could. books. <laughs> Well, as a slightly different look at Star Wars, we know that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is coming very soon, 2019. Yes. <laughs> very yes. excited. Uh, and considering this, this is still sort of rumory, but I'm sure there's some truth in it that we're going to hear some John Williams and Michael Giacchino music. Because, of course, Michael Giacchino did Rogue One. Uh, let's. Who was the music for Solo? Was that who was that? Alexander, Alexander Duplat. No, who was no, no. That? Wait a minute, I have it here. Yeah, look that up for me. <laughs> I have the. I have the. There it is. I have the CD sitting right beside me. Yeah, I only have digital on that one. I didn't. I didn't. Couldn't find the disc anywhere. Uh, Amazon was my friend on this one. <laughs> Don Powell. Don Powell. Okay, so possibly we'll hear some of his music. So I would assume, of course, that of course, and John Williams' music. You're going to hear their music all around that area. On the on the Falcon ride, uh, in the cantina, uh, some of the other areas around Black Spire, I bet you're going to hear the music. But there's some rumor that potentially they're going to compose some new music for this area, which would make sense because we don't want to hear just the cantina songs we've heard in movies. We might want to hear some new music, maybe even some of the music used in the Clone Wars. There's yeah. a lot of potential for different source music they, that, that, that Disney already has control of, but it's possible that they may write some in, some unique pieces of music to play around the area in Black Spire. We don't know if this is actually going to happen, but it's a potential. Yeah. So this is exciting, mainly because new John Williams music. Yeah. Well, the fun thing here is um, anybody who knows Michael Giacchino knows that the, he's basically his favorite composer was John Williams. Oh, yeah. It, it probably, I think he studied under him for a while. Yeah. I don't know if he ever actually worked with Williams or not, but it's like if you listen to his music, it's very it's similar to the style of what Williams does. Oh, yeah. Giacchino's got it nailed. And which, <laughs> yes, I will. It is pronounced Giacchino. He's put it on his Twitter feed because we keep calling him Giacchino or Giacchino. So, yes, for reference, Giacchino. It's okay. very weird, but... <laughs> I learned how to say his name. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, well, hopefully if the two of them do write new music for um, Galaxy's Edge, maybe we'll get a soundtrack out of it. <gasps> oh, don't tempt me with will get me excited. Oh, it, it, it's been done Mike, before. Stuff, stuff like this happens or not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I know it's been done before because they've done soundtracks for Reflections of Earth and Tapestry of Nations, mm -hmm. uh, those parades, uh, that, that parade at Epcot and, of course, Fire work show uh we have gotten soundtracks for haunted mansion uh yeah. which i do own several copies because they keep you know mixing it up <laughs> and i i have to have one when they make a new one um because it's the haunted mansion they've done soundtrack for something else uh i've got a pirates of the caribbean that's it uh yeah that's it yeah it's very very cool so uh for the most part that that's what it is so we oh, could potentially i that know that would be awesome i know there's a list out there of um songs where you could create your own soundtrack from song of the south and most of the other attractions there's a song list available done by disney fanatics um you just gotta go hunt for it but i think with this uh i hope that they do put out a soundtrack if it's original stuff oh well i oh see now i'm, I'm excited at the possibilities that sounds very awesome. So, yeah. if not, I'm going to be finding a speaker somewhere and figuring out how to tap in and record. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you could talk to someone behind the scenes and pull it, pull it directly out of the feed. Yeah, no. <laughs> not that easy. Mike will be pulling in every favor he's ever picked up on. <laughs> I'll let you be on the podcast if you pull it for me. I, I, I know if, if I really wanted to, I really needed to, I know a place, I know a direction I could go to potentially get it but I'm nothing gonna, you're gonna say on air <laughs> no and and I'm, I'm still waiting to see if they actually do release a soundtrack first yeah i bet they will if they get some new music they're they're gonna put it out yeah just because money 
Now, something else will be available at the parks. Oh, yes. Speaking of money, have you guys ever wondered how did Leia fund the resistance? Well, I'm sure she wasn't alone. Well, with the new Poe Dameron annual that just came out, I believe it came out last week. Um, we we kind of get this information in that book. So I, I would say with the comic, it's kind of the same as TV or movies. We're past that 48-hour mark. So, uh, and I'm going to spoil this for myself because I haven't read it yet. Because <laughs> I'm behind on, on the books there. But um, with the destruction of Alderaan, uh, we were shown the power of the Death Star. Oh, yeah. Um, but now the Star Wars comic shows how Leia eventually got revenge for her home planet in the new trilogy. Uh, even if Star Wars fans don't know the name Alderaan, because they're looking at Alderaan places. <laughs> but, um, boom. Um, what? Um, you they... have another show that you can do that stuff on. <laughs> <laughs> do that stuff on. We don't need it here. <laughs> what? Are you going to put a hit on me now? I'm wanted in, in 12 galaxies. Um, they certainly know the, the, they certainly know the planet. Um, the first world to be totally obliterated in the Star Wars films. I uh, was meant to act as a demonstration of total evil and brutality. Um, but there's a new wrinkle as Alderaan takes a new place in the canon as um, when Poe Dameron and his Black Squadron are sent to recover a priceless relic for Leia prior to Force Awakens, um, a relic that turns out to be the only piece of Alderaan that survived the full, the first Death Star fire. Um, and it's the knowledge of its people. Mm. So when Leia opens up the package, which is set to be sold to the First Order for a small fortune, she can hardly believe that her suspicion proves accurate. The box contains what remains of the archives of the Great Library of Alderaan. They were sitting right next to the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> um, of course, it's the place where the very best literature and knowledge of Alderaan ever produced was kept safe. And accompanying the flashback gives a brief glimpse of the library itself, focusing on Leia's time there with uh, Bell Organa. And we can only assume that was Bell's devotion to these higher texts is what made him such an important founding member of the First Alliance to restore the Galactic Republic. Uh, of course, with his ability to sense when the Empire was prepping to, to strike um, had been shared with by the rest of the people, Leia reveals that the priceless knowledge contained began to be smuggled off-world away from any potential Imperial occupation. When the planet's erased, uh, so was the history. Um... So it's a poetic tale from Jody Hauser and Andrea Ricardo, and this connection can be made. Be, uh, and of course, the connection made between the old Star Wars story and the new isn't the only one the comic has off has to offer. When Poe Dameron and Han Solo secretly team up to get the item into Resistance hands, they also sure the ancient information contained within is weapon related, not the archive of the Great library of Alderaan. But when Han learns the truth, he knows Leia is the only person in the galaxy who would know exactly what to do with it. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I'm loving how the comics are kind of bringing us a little bit more backstory to kind of fill in gaps. Um, of course, this is all being given under direction from the story group. Yep. So, because I'm, I'm quite sure they know what's going on with the streaming service, other movie projects. So they know how to skirt around this to make this work with what's coming out. Yeah. Or yeah. potentially coming out. So yeah, it's like you said, it's great that they're actually um, all the backstory that everybody wanted to have in the Force Awakens. Oh, what happened all that before all this? And they they said then you're going to get all that. Just give us time to. And they're given given enough time. They're slowly developing stuff out, and they're not throwing it all at once. Yeah. So actually yeah. taking time to be able to figure out exactly the way they want to tell the story and what exactly happened. Yep. And keeping us following us like they got a little little bait on a hook that just kind of pull it along a little bit and we just keep chasing, getting a little bit more and a little bit more and taking some hits off of it and everything. 
Oh, yeah. yes. Well, that's the nice thing is Disney in general, you can see what Disney and Lucasfilm have learned from mistakes in the past of the EU. Because remember when the EU first started with the Thrawn books, mm-hmm. you'd have one book. The next year you had one book. And then eventually you got, I mean, over the next couple of years, you'd have maybe two a year at the most. But eventually once the prequels came out, you had them coming out like every other month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were too many. Keep track. No one can keep up with it. Yeah. They finally slipped the, the um once they started the new canon back with um oh what was the name of the book? Uh New Dawn with the first novel. They've actually sl- slowed it down and said, Okay, fine, you get one or two books a year. That's all you and that's all we need. Yeah. You have them to digest it, figure out what's going on before you move on. Comics being such a um the type of media it is, having two or three comics running at a time is fine. Because not everybody's gonna cover the read those anyway. Right. Yeah. And you expect a couple of comics or a comic every week. I mean, that's just the way it works. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they've learned from the, if you start going too fast, all of a sudden the people you had reading your books can't read them all. And they they get lost in the store, lost in the shuffle somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Which is what happened. Hence why, you know, the old canon or the EU is not considered truly canon. Maybe bits and pieces from when it's been pulled, but you know, it's been said many times too, Lucas essentially kept an encyclopedia of the different characters from the different books. So when he came time to create characters, he made sure he didn't duplicate a name from the books just to, just so there wasn't confusion about bringing those, those stories into the proper canon. See, I don't think Lucas did, but he had guys like Leland Chi and Pablo Hidalgo who did know all the canon and could actually help him out and he'd run it by them and say, hey, has this been done anywhere out there? That, or how many people am I going to get? All t-? But sometimes I think George did it on purpose. He'd say, well, how many people are going to get ticked off about this? Yeah. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Because some you know he was messing with people by the way he did certain things. I think he had fun playing with the fans. Yeah. Yeah, because the fans do not hate The Last Jedi as much as you might think. This is true. Mm-hmm. Well, because, yeah, yeah, the Blu-ray sales apparently have been impressive, right? Well, yeah, the Blu-ray sales for The Last Jedi have, or it's actually, um, it is the number one Blu-ray of 2018 as of right now. And I know I've got a copy. (laughs) Now, the um, Black Panther is the number one movie for 2018 in the box office. I I thought Infinity War surpassed it. uh, Did it? Yeah, I think it did. But um, none of the Marvel movies so far have come anywhere near the Blu-ray sales for The Last Jedi. Now, The Last Jedi pulled one point um oh, wait a minute uh, i think that number's wrong i have to look it back up it says the worldwide box office was like 1300 billion but wait a minute uh i can check just right now let me go to the trusty box office mojo <laughs> okay according to box office mojo the last jedi pulled in a total of ah 1.332 billion dollars basically is 1 billion 332 million dollars at the box office which is not so, anything to sneeze at even people say how terrible this movie was so uh but the it's it was the number one movie of 2017 both domestic and worldwide um that but overseas um actually uh, beauty and the beast topped it at 759 and a half million dollars where Jedi only pulled 712.4 million. But when you combine them together, Last Jedi is way above everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so it makes sense that the Blu-ray is doing well also. So far, the film has um, sold 3,019,432 units, bringing in an additional $69 million to the um, added to the box office, basically. Well ahead of the number two Blu-ray sale, which is Black Panther. Now, Black Panther um, did better worldwide and domestic than The Last Jedi, but just barely. Uh, the Black Panther did $1.346 um, billion, where, uh, yeah, and it was $1.332 billion for The Last Jedi. So Black Panther at the box office just eked out, but it looks like um, the film has only sold $15 million in sales at, um, in the U.S. and a total of $84 million worldwide for um, its Blu-ray sales. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to see this movie that everybody has all these problems with and they have um and no one liked it or something and yet it's still the highest selling blu-ray in the country or yeah. in, for this year yeah. yeah we seem to have a very vocal minority of people who who dislike the movie for one reason or, an, or another uh, what is also interesting, the Washington Post has an article by Bethany Lacina, who's an associate professor of political science at the University of Rochester. She conducted a study across Twitter using Star Wars and various forms of hate speech 
and find that there's not exactly that many instances of the hate speech as you would have thought. And a lot of times it comes around where there's already an argument that got heated somewhere or another on Twitter. And the real trolling is actually pretty minimal, although we keep hearing stories of how Kelly Marie Tran was bullied away. Uh, and actually, we're finding out that the female fans actually seem to get harassed a little bit more than any of the celebrities have been harassed. Uh, so there is a very vocal minority, and they didn't like it. And I'm sure there's some regular people who are not that vocal and not being hateful who didn't enjoy the movie. But I, I keep hearing some some people who who they just they they didn't quite like it, but they'll still go and watch it again because they're trying. It's like, well, maybe I missed something, and so they'll go ahead and they'll watch it again. And it's possible some of these people that they're they're trying to like it, they're just not not quite connecting with it. They'll still go and probably buy the movie because they love Star Wars enough that they'll purchase. So keeping those Blu-ray sales up, and they'll they'll watch and they're trying to dissect it. They don't necessarily come away I think liking it, but uh, I've heard. Of people doing that you know they'll buy it they'll watch it again and they'll try to dissect it and get their heads around it uh but so those are the people the fans who maybe didn't like the last jedi but they're not the ones really going around and this this minority of people who are going around hating on people and causing problems that make this issue seem a lot bigger than it actually is see for me i didn't have i enjoyed the movie thoroughly yeah it was more this is the one movie where i can nitpick it to death me nitpicking it doesn't mean i don't love it yeah there's too much to take in you really have to take it apart and see what all was going on it was it was deeper it was more complex and yeah. i i i remember uh maybe it was on the the Blu-ray on some of the special features, but I remember a quote from Ryan Johnson where he's talking about he got left with a Luke Skywalker that for some reason was not involved with the conflict of the First Order. He had to come up with a reason for that and what he thought would be most interesting is the Luke that we got where he's not he, he's not a coward who's hiding. He's actually having significant problems with the Force and that he caused Kylo Ren's whole thing. You know, he's, he's got all these inner turmoils he's going through and it's, it's great that way because instead of just getting a flat Luke Skywalker who comes in the way we remember him and he's just going to come in his laser sword and save the day he's got a character arc he's got he's continuing his hero's journey to becoming that master that we see him at the end right and we do get a big moment at the end of him being the big hero it's fantastic oh I love it yeah, yeah as, as we've said on here before the thing is if you actually look at what we've seen on screen of Luke Skywalker where you see Luke at this seems like about what he would actually do if you look at what we've seen on screen already yeah yep. movies he was in if you look at the way his story arc worked there every time he'd come up against a um, problem he started to doubt himself yes that's well, true or he would doubt of the way he was doing something mm -hmm. or he would make the wrong decision in the wrong way eventually he did make a really one really good decision of not falling to the dark side and not yeah. killing other that was the that was a good decision but he had a plenty of bad decisions yeah well, that's why we could relate to him so well he was so human he was flawed like one of us well if he's building this new jedi order training new students if one of them goes bad it <laughs> makes sense with his character as we've seen it to him that doubt what's going on and all of a sudden wait a minute i did something wrong how do i fix this yeah that way saying no no no. if i do it again i might mess up i gotta go study some more or something and totally shut off the rest of the universe till he figures out what's going on yeah and uh, i think ryan johnson even mentioned that he would have in his head that every time he gets involved he may be making it worse because it seems with that balance that he's starting to become aware of if the jedi rise up a Sith is going to come out to balance it out. And so you have that thought of, I may be making it worse. So maybe if I just stay out, I don't cause any more problems. Yep. Exactly. And also, mm -hmm. you got to remember, when he was, um, everything he knows about balance of the Force and uh, the lore of the Force, he's self-taught. Yeah. Because Yo Ben and Yoda, Obi-Wan and Yoda showed him how to feel the Force, how to do all the physical stuff of the Force. They really didn't have a whole lot of time to teach him the spirituality of the Force and the history of the Jedi and things like this. Yeah, just beware yeah. of the dark side. <laughs> yeah, he had the practical knowledge, not the head knowledge of what is the Force, what is the Jedi. Yeah. What does it mean to be a Jedi? Yeah. So he had books to read, though, that apparently are, were very entertaining reads, as Yoda sarcastically kind of notes. <laughs> <laughs> 
I wonder if Luke actually took the time to read those. <laughs> well, that's one character I think Ryan Johnson got to a T. Yoda in that was exactly the Yoda we saw when he died. Yes, I it just warmed my heart, almost brought tears to my eyes to see Yoda in there acting and kind of laughing. Oh, Luke, I have missed you, Skywalker, when he blows up the tree. Yeah. I'll just oh. start singing about seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop it now. So, well, that's going to bring us to a close any final thoughts? What's that? Have we made it to the end again? We have. Wow. So any final thoughts? My only final thought is actually um, we've talked about Solo on here and we keep talking about Solo. We got a week and a half till the Blu-ray sales go. I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised when they actually either see a digital copy or finally buy a digital copy because they decided not to go to the movies to see this movie to see how good this truly is. Yeah, I liked it. are going to show that this movie was a whole lot better than people expected. And how silly they were for having missed the opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. This one, I would almost like to see this go old school and maybe get a Christmas re-release or a January re-release hmm. and see what would happen if they would get re-release on a downtime. Even if it was just, okay, For we got a three-week engagement here. Come back out and see Solo. Yeah, and I would like to be able to watch the movie without being interrupted by somebody pulling the fire alarm halfway through. <laughs> That's what happened when I went to the theater. If somebody pulled the fire alarm, we all had to go outside for 20 minutes, come back inside, sit for another 20 minutes, then they backed the movie up about 20 minutes. And we watched it from there. And I still had a good time, but I still, I enjoyed Rogue One more, but Solo is still a great film. Yeah, (coughs) I agree with that. Yep, (laughs) NeverlandPodcast.com. That works as well. Well, (laughs) that is going to wrap it up for us. Uh, Again, find Jeremy over on Neverland Podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. Find him uh, anywhere that podcatchers. Yeah, pretty much anywhere. And there's a special going on. This will be the second week of W.R. Miller being part of the show. He has written a, a historical Star Wars source book where he has the first volume coming from 1971 to 1976 of all like press clippings and all this information about the actual making of the first film, even interviews with Gary Kurtz. Uh, very fun guest, and this, uh, it, it was a nice, good, long conversation, but we'll have the second half airing actually this week. So come check it out. Make sure you download the first half, too. We are also giving away a copy of the book, but you'll have to listen to the show to find out how you can get it awesome uh ken any final thoughts Nah, i think we've got it we've covered most of it on here jeremy thanks for coming on and hanging out with us man yeah no problem anytime and uh there's only one thing left to be said give the evacuation code signal all right cut the chatter jet i can hold it pull up no i'm all right information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. You're exactly the kind of men I need in the 501st.